Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. We begin tonight with the historic Tuesday midterm election results in Massachusetts. It was a stunning night of women in charge. And in the words of the iconic Lizzo, it's about dang time. Because we believe in the power of us. Massachusetts, this is a beautiful night to call the Commonwealth home. The emotion was palpable on Tuesday's election night. History was made when a wave of women leaders crashed into the shores of the Commonwealth, including the first all-female executive team in Maura Healy and Kim Driscoll, and first black woman elected to a statewide office in Andrea Campbell's term as Attorney General. It was a star-studded procession of speakers, starting with Mayor Wu, who was immensely proud of this achievement, seeing this as an opportunity to set an example for the nation. Kim Driscoll was elected lieutenant governor, and her speech reminded women the importance of claiming what's theirs. This evening is 242 years in the making. Today, Massachusetts voters stood proud, spoke with one powerful, clear voice, and said, it's her time! Just as impactful was the crowd, who mirrored the diversity of the elected leaders. The star of the night was Maura Healey, who won 63% of the vote in Tuesday's governor race, following her two terms as attorney general. Known as the people's lawyer, Maura Healey is an LGBTQ champion, becoming the first openly lesbian governor in the United States. Our job from day one will be to make our state more affordable. I'll be a governor for every person struggling with higher costs. And as long as I'm governor, women will always have the freedom to control their own bodies. Tonight, I want to say something to every little girl and every young LGBTQ person out there. I hope, I hope tonight shows you that you can be whatever, whoever you want to be. Elected Attorney General Andrea Campbell ended the celebration by promising more progressive and equitable legislation and the future of her term. The city of Boston currently has two memorials that honor black veterans. A new park that honors General Orden O. Gordine and other African-American veterans who have served will be finished this year. Here's BNN reporter Waylon Walsh-Parker with more. Veterans and friends of General Gordine African-Americans Veteran Park says that they have been working on the project to build a memorial park for more than 25 years and is now close to being done. General Gordine's granddaughter, Valicia Gordine, says she is not the first person in her family to be a part of the process. been coming along for a long time. Um, it's, it's kind of become my family's mission to see the park come to completion and to be used by the community. 
General Edward O. Gordine served in World War II as the commander of the 372nd Infantry Division, an all-black regiment. His granddaughter, Valicia Gordine, says he went on to do even more. Won a silver medal in the 1924 Olympics for the long jump. Um, he was uh, studied to be a lawyer. He was appointed a U.S. District Attorney and uh, the first uh, African-American District Court Judge in Massachusetts. Karen Udemy is a sculptor who is continuing the work of her late cousin, friend Cunningham Terry, and says Cunningham Terry created the sculpture of General Gordine that will be installed in the spring. The sculpture of Gordine will be up front facing the, the entranceway and the reliefs are intermittently be between benches so people can be up close and personal. Yemi created 10 relief portraits of nine actual African-American war veterans from the American Revolution to the Iraq War and says that they are meant to represent all African-American veterans who served in the wars. You know, I'd like to, to believe that the veterans who are still living will feel some kind of accomplishment and at being recognized and as well as people who have passed their families still have that that hope that people care about that service that their family member did the National Center for Veterans Analysis and Statistics says that about 13,000 black veterans live here in Massachusetts. Veterans and Friends of General Edward O. Gordine and African Americans Memorial Park will be hosting a Veterans Day celebration at Nubian Square right by the park on November 11th. Reporting for BNN from Boston, I'm Waylon Wells Parker. BNN News honors our veterans who have bravely fought and served our country. The spirits and souls of lost loved ones were honored at the Dia de los Muertos celebration in Jamaica Plain on Saturday. Also known as the Day of the Dead, the Mexican holiday is believed to unite the mortal and spirit world on the first of every November. Here's the story. A day of remembrance. Jamaica Plain organization Spontaneous Celebrations invited the community to make their own Day of the Dead altars in their annual Dia de los Muertos celebration. Candles lit the way back for spirits as friends and families paid their respects, adorning altars or ofrendas with pictures of the deceased, bright marigolds, and favored foods and items of loved ones. Saturday night's celebration was joyful in tone, complete with music, traditional dancing, and prayer. Mexican holiday Dia de los Muertos marks when families welcome back the souls of deceased relatives during the 24 hours that heaven's gates are open. Death, an integral part of life, is not to be feared, as the living and dead reunite once more. Death is part of the life cycle, and those that we love should never be forgotten. They should remain with us in stories, the way we honor them, the way we carry on what we've learned from them. And I think that this is a beautiful way to do this. And also, for people who aren't accustomed to this kind of ceremony, I think it may help people feel more comfortable actually thinking about death and thinking about those we love and feeling like they can be incorporated into our daily lives. Sharing the collective experience of grieving in this group with the drums and the music and the collective intention is for me very much an experience of 
opening a package of love and promise from our ancestors, from the ones that have gone before us. And in the group, everybody affirms that we have lost and everybody affirms that we are here now renewing and healing. Departed loved ones are definitely still a part of us and it's really special to remember where we came from and feel less alone in this world and, um, you know, be a part of this greater cycle of life. And that is what, you know, remembering loved ones makes me think about. The great minds of the art and academic worlds gathered at Mass Art and the Colleges of Fenway last weekend at the 7th Transcultural Exchange Conference to make new connections, learn, educate, and find inspiration. BNN News explores the activity throughout the weekend. Boston. It's a city rich in art and cultural diversity, flourishing with new ideas and innovation, and the perfect city for creative minds from across the globe to meet for Transcultural Exchange's 2022 International Conference on Opportunities of the Arts. Mass College of Arts set the scene for art makers, administrators, curators, and critics to network and share opportunities during the three-day weekend. Through panels, workshops, and roundtables, artists from various career stages and disciplines could bridge the gap between talent and tangible opportunities. For attendees, these days of in-depth conversations will help them dive deeper into what they do best, make art. In this space of like minds, art is essential, a universal language of transformation and connection. I think it's absolutely essential that artists actually come together. Um, I think by collectively joining our, our thoughts, our creativity, exchange especially, that is the way that we not only stimulate and enhance one another, but we create a collective um, process and a collective understanding of how we can actually put back into the world and change the world through the arts. I also believe that art in our society is uh, sometimes not well enough understood. Um, and that it's important uh, and it can bring a lot of uh, creativity and reflection about uh, humanity, our identity, um, about what human nature is within uh, our world. Um, and it's important to talk about that within the art community, but also beyond the art community. And I think if we can get together and together think about that, we also have a better view on how we can present it to the to the other people, to the uh, outer world, and I think that's very important. In a society where um, uh, every, everything is so fast-paced, and sometimes actually art can offer a really uh, comfortable space or even ch challenging space for people to reflect. And so that's why I think it, art is very important for uh, for the soul and also for, uh, in general, uh, of like try to reconnect it uh, with uh, one inner self and uh, also connect it with other people. Mary Sherman is director of the artist-run Transcultural Exchange. She received her Master of Fine Arts degree from New York University and currently teaches at Boston College. Mary has received numerous grants and awards, including four Fulbright Specialist Grants and has been an artist scholar in residence several prestigious institutions, including the Cité Internationale des Arts Paris. Mary discusses the importance of cultural integration and the opportunities available through the transcultural exchange. Enjoy the conversation.
All right, so to get us started, I'd love to talk a little bit about transcultural exchange. What exactly is it? What is the mission? And uh, can you tell us about how long it's been a presence in Boston? Uh, it's been a presence in Boston since 2002, but it was a presence in, we started in 1988 in Chicago. So it's been around for about 35 years. We celebrate our 35th anniversary next year. We incorporated in Boston in 2002. So that means 20 years anniversary this year. And our mission is to foster greater understanding of world cultures. And we do this through global art projects, um, artist exchanges and educational programming like the conference that we just did. Well, as an artist yourself, I'd love to hear more about your journey as an art maker. Uh, how did it ultimately lead to your current position as director of transcultural exchange? It's directly related, actually, because I studied uh, when I, was, I, I had a junior year abroad position. Well, not position, but I studied my junior year abroad in Vienna. And in Vienna, I was studying painting. I was always interested. I was painting since I was in high school. And then um, in Vienna, um, I met some artists, and then when I was, after I graduated, I was living in Chicago, and the artist from Vienna came to Chicago and asked me if I wanted to do an exchange show with friends of theirs in Vienna. So we, um, so that's what we did. I asked friends of mine, they had friends there, and we did an exchange show. So artist friends of mine in Chicago exchanged their work with artists in Vienna. So we started in Chicago, had a show, uh, an exhibition, and we had a literary reading and we had a film a film perform a, a film exhibition and a music performance and then all of that went to vienna and we showed the same thing there so that was our first exchange and that was um that was really exciting it was really exciting for us to have our work in vienna to host viennese artists in chicago and so that was the beginning of transcultural exchange so transcultural exchange has always been artist run and it's always been multicultural, and it's always been um, multicultural and multidiscipline. So you just wrapped the seventh Transcultural Exchange Conference. The theme this year was Create the Future. Um, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about the energy coming out of the pandemic for this year? And also related to the theme, what have been some of the latest things happening in the art world that have blown your mind? Um, we use the, the theme Create the Future. We always have very general, broad themes as a way to encourage anyone to submit what they're thinking about because, you know, we're here in Boston and I don't know exactly what's going on in other parts of the world, so I'm very curious to know. So um, this we, we had started this conference before COVID and we're thinking about, so COVID hadn't hit yet, and we were thinking about how can artists help create What's we did still have climate issues going on, so we and we had lots of um, racial, you know, we had problems, uh, social and political and racial problems that were hitting the scene, you know. So we were really interested in what can artists do to to help create a better future. So anyway, the idea was create the future, and then COVID hit, and when COVID hit, things became even though all those things became even more crucial. So um, the so that's what we tried to address with the conference. Um, then you asked me about what what blew me away and, and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think what really touched me with all those speakers and with one was what really touched me was many speakers came to Boston after COVID in the face of all kinds of travel concerns. 
We had more speakers than ever come to Boston. They wanted to meet each other. They wanted to get things going again, and they wanted to help artists to do the same. So I think that really that really touched me, and you could say blew me away. And also that so many artists are working on these issues really blew me away. As an organization, in addition to the conference you just did, what are some of the programs and assistance that you offer to artists? Sure. The conference, the conferences were actually added on in 2002 because I found out that as, as a nonprofit, you have to have an education mission in the U.S. It's, you don't have just an arts mission. And I took that very seriously. So um, we used to always do exchange projects where artists around the world work together and um, that kind of thing. And then when we did this exchange, when we incorporated and realized we needed to be an have an educational mission, I thought, oh my goodness, I don't really know what um, you know young people need, but I do know what artists need, and they need to meet each other, and they need to talk to each other, and they need to be aware of what's going on in the world. And that's what started the conferences. Um, but these conferences, well, they're really hugely expensive to do if you had to do it in any other way than what we do it. And the way we do it is we invite our friends to come. And we have, thankfully, a huge global family now. And so many of the speakers, actually, um, if I give them enough time, will arrange for their own tickets. So many of, I'd say 90% of our speakers came to Boston um, without us paying for it. They raised their own funds, and they came here to support our mission, which I suppose that really blew me away. Um, so that was lovely. Um, but in the meantime, what we do is we do we do programming that connects artists together. And again, it's multidisciplinary, it's multi-international. And so for instance, during COVID, we got very concerned that people would, uh, you know, they were inside, they were shuttered. Uh, you saw people get more and more frightened, feel more and more alone. All these things that foster things that could, you know, lead lead to, feeling threatened, lead to feeling inward, wanting to be not wanting to help each other because right. they feel so scared. So we um, wrote artists around the world and said, can you help us? And we had artists submit artworks, either paintings, videos, music pieces, and we created a travelogue around the world through art so that, so that people would know that there were 500 participants, so that people would know that five, at least 500 people of the world around the world wanted to tell them, we are here for you, we care about you, and we want to share something we made with you. Hmm. Uh, and it's been said that art is uh, the pulse of a culture. Uh, in a time right now where it seems that people are very divided, especially within our country, yeah. uh, what is the role of art? Well, I think that Art is an act of kindness. An artist makes something and gives it to something, someone, and wants to give it to someone, which is an act of kindness. And I think nothing could be more important at, the, at this moment than acts of kindness. I think it's one of the few ways that we can actually bridge um, the divides that, have, that are plaguing our country at the moment and our world at the moment. Hmm. And I'm just curious, what's next for transcultural exchange? It always changes. <laughs> actually, I had an idea last night, but it's too fresh to tell you. But um, we actually, um, one of the things that we try to do is always make the content of our of our conferences accessible. So uh, for our conference, we offer anyone who wants one a scholarship. We do everything we can to make sure that people who want to know about the conference and the um, information on it can find out about it. 
And so now what we did was we taped some of our speakers while they were here, and we hoped to put together a series of um, so, uh, television or some sort of uh, online production where people can find out the content on our conference online. Oh, I love that so much. And uh, for our viewers who may be interested in supporting transcultural exchange or possibly even attending the next uh, conference, how can they do so? Um, the best way is, is to join our newsletter. So if you go to our website, there's a subscribe list, um, button at the bottom. And by being on our newsletter, you get the news first about what we're doing next and how you can participate. But we would love to extend our family. Our next guest is Ralph C. Martin II, who was honored at the 2022 Eastern Bank Foundation Social Justice Awards, a ceremony that recognizes an individual who strives to create a better community for all. Nancy Huntington Steger, president and CEO of the Eastern Bank Foundation, joins our conversation on inclusive leadership. Here's the interview. And I, I definitely have to start with the congratulations, Ralph, on receiving Eastern Banks Foundation 2022 Social Justice Award. Such a, such a wonderful achievement. It, it is an honor to be recognized, and um, it's, um, it's great to be in the company uh, that I've found myself in with some of the previous honorees. So uh, really, really thankful for, for the recognition. Definitely. And Ralph, you have such an impressive resume. I'd love for you to walk us through a little bit of your journey on your path. Um, and if you don't mind sharing where your, your passion for social justice uh, has come from. I think the, the beginning of my career started before I became a professional. And it really came from where I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And you know, during the civil rights era in the 60s and my father's path, which had included serving in the segregated army and then serving in the New York City Police Department and uh, really understanding a number of the inequities and um, unjust treatment that people in his generation had uh, withstood and overcome and recognizing that I had a responsibility to uh, hopefully be uh, someone who advanced uh, the principles of equity and justice whenever I could in my career. So I think it's, you know, those are two frames of references. One is my upbringing and then also my early professional career mm -hmm. working with terrific lawyers and people who also embrace that as part of their professional responsibility. Wonderful. And Nancy, what stood out to you and your colleagues at Eastern Bank Foundation about Ralph? How did you go about selecting him for this year's award? He, he was a really easy choice uh, because of his 40 plus year uh, career here in Boston, really fighting for fairness, equity, and justice along the way in a variety of different settings, nonprofit, for-profit business, uh, higher education. Um, he served uh, two terms as, um, two separate terms uh, as chair of the partnership, which is a premier leadership development organization uh, for uh, people of color in Boston. And, uh, you know, 
I think personally, uh, Ralph has always put himself in positions where he's moved outside his own comfort zone. Uh, why is inclusion in the workplace so vital at this time? How do we handle the resistance against the movement to create equity that we're seeing right now? When you talk about having um, populations being represented in some sort of fair and equitable uh, uh, proportion, whether it's higher education, employment, on boards, uh, and you know other other elements of life, those things are clearly under under attack. Mm -hmm. So it's important, I think, for uh, all of us to recognize and appreciate that all of our institutions are better off uh, when they promote fairness, when they promote equity, when they com uh, promote inclusion, uh, that you get better solutions, uh, you get uh, a better product, uh, and you are more representative of the constituencies that you are either seeking to uh, promote your products to or represent. So it's, it, to me, it's very simple. Uh, I wish it was very simple for uh, the rest of the world to appreciate. And But I think we live in an environment here and certainly the greater Boston area in Massachusetts where those virtues and benefits are appreciated. Hmm. And what are some of the most pressing challenges facing Boston right now? And how do systemic inequalities play into these issues? Ralph's right in his uh, concern. I think all thinking people in our area are concerned about what the future portends. But um, there's a lot of momentum, too. And business will do what's good for business. And the good news, I think, for us is that businesses are recognizing that diversity and full inclusion uh, actually is very good for business. Uh, it prepares you to serve more customers. It, it creates a climate inside the company where employees feel um, like their ideas matter, their contribution matters, and um, you get just more juice, right? Mm -hmm. And so businesses are looking for an edge all the time. Uh, and the good news is that diversity and especially inclusion are, um, are that edge. Uh, so I, I am optimistic that that will stick around uh, because um, it, it's, I've seen it firsthand. I know I've been talking about diversity and inclusion for 40 years. Um, and, you know, it matters where you work. It matters um, that, the, um, that the leadership of that company is fully embracing inclusion. Uh, and when it does, boy, it, you know, you really see the quality of the decisions improve, the uh, esprit de corps within the company, morale, all of that. Just, it's just a better place to work. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so how can the next generation of leaders prepare for these changes that, um, excuse me, these challenges that we're talking about? And what can they learn from previous generations? I think we're in really... Um, in debt to the younger generations uh, because we've left them with quite a mess. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm encouraged by the younger people that I meet who are very engaged in Boston, care about Boston, greater Boston. Um, 
and care about fairness and equity and understand what that means? Look, I think the partnership is a mighty and demonstrable success in helping to uh, promote diversity and inclusion in the workplace and also prepare uh, people of color for the challenges and opportunities that that they are likely to encounter in a variety of workplaces. What are the strategies that help you manage your career? What are the strategies that help you deal with inequities, whether large or micro uh, in the workplace? And then also equipping employers with the competencies to help recruit, uh, retain, and promote uh, individuals of color. And, you know, I, I, the, the last time I saw a statistic was quite a while ago, but there are literally thousands of people, uh, people of color, professionals of color uh, in the workplace who attribute some degree of their success or staying in Boston to their experience with the partnership. And so when you compound that over a period of years and decades, that's a, that is a profound effect and why many of us have supported the partnership. Thank you for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. And make sure to check out our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072.